0: That is not what you're taught in any sales course. It's not what you're taught in business. You're supposed to leave with expertise. You're supposed to handle objections. No, truth, honesty, a uh, genuine response to a, and a question that a client thought was important enough to ask. And that created trust a little bit right there in that moment.
1: Welcome to the Delighted Customers Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Slayton, and I'm so glad you're here where we provide practical ways to delight customers and do so consistently. This podcast is all about helping you accelerate the time it takes to embed the customer experience into your culture, earning the right to customer-driven growth. Well, I am so excited for our guest today, who I met uh, in a most interesting way. I I had just started a a consulting practice focusing on on helping uh, small to medium-sized businesses with their strategy in general and revenue growth. And I started reading more about trust. And the reason was because I knew the people that I had worked with prior in corporate America, had the ones who did really well, had this ability to build trust uh, with their customers in a way that they were getting invited to their weddings. They were godparents for the kids. And I said... That's got to be one of the keys. I need to learn about this and I need to actually do my best to instruct my clients to make sure they intentionally focus more on trust. And one of the books I picked, I picked up two great books on it. One was called Trust-Based Selling and the other one was called The Trusted Advisor. And sure enough, there is this guy named Charles H. Green, who is the author these are timeless gems that you get um, that really apply to anybody uh, in any business and in real life outside of business. Uh, But particularly those of us in the customer experience world um, who are both trying to, uh, you know, if you're in that seat that you have to persuade, you have to sell, you have to influence others. And generally we don't have this uh, this authoritative badge that we can carry around with us. We have to do it by building trust and, and trust, trust a relation. I can think of no one else who is more knowledgeable. Literally, he wrote the book on trust. And so I'm welcoming today very with great enthusiasm, my friend and mentor, Char- Charlie Green.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Mark. A pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me.
1: Oh, so, so delighted. All right. So um, I can't wait to dig into this stuff because um, it's just things that maybe we do, maybe we do sometimes without really knowing it, but you can, you can shed light on how we can do this uh, once we get a grasp of, of what it is more intentionally and more focused to help us in, in our everyday lives and those of us who are in the business world, particularly those who are trying to delight customers. Um, so the first the first question I have it has to do with with relational risk, right? This idea of trust means if I'm going to trust you, I've got to take some risk. And and um, gosh, there's a whole bunch of reasons in this world why I shouldn't trust anybody, much less you. And and so, can you help shed some light on? how this whole thing might work just in terms of relational risk and how we might approach it.
0: Yeah, well, you put your finger on a very important thing. Um, If if there is no risk, there's no trust. I mean, trust is fundamentally about risk. And if if you think about any interaction between any two people that creates trust starts with one of those two people taking a risk to trust the other person. Uh, Let's call that person the trustor. The other party is called the trustee. The trustee is the one who has to prove themselves trustworthy or or not. And the trustor is an active role. The trustee is a passive role. And usually those of us, whether we're in CX roles or in professional services, we think of ourselves as the trustees. We want to be seen as trustworthy, but we forget that's not what initiates trust. Somebody has to take a risk. So in in sales, the phrase is aggressively waiting for the phone to ring not a good strategy. If you want to create something, you have to flip over and take on the role of the trustor and figure out a way to take a risk on that other person, whether it's your potential client or your boss or somebody within your organization, whatever. Um, And I'll borrow an idea. I mean, it was originally meant for the sales world, but I think it applies in any, any situation. It's what I call bring a risky gift. Uh, Imagine that you're invited to, you know, a business colleagues uh, for dinner for the first time at their house. And, you know, you and your significant other on the way there, you, you stop at a liquor store, you buy a nice bottle of California red or something. Right. Because that's what you do. You bring a gift. But blah, blah, blah. You know, no big deal. They open it. They put it away. What if instead you were to say, you know, honey, I think last year they went on vacation to Italy. What if we went and got a really nice bottle of Italian, um, you know, pick your favorite Italian kind of wine, Chianti, uh, uh, Barolo or something, and we, we tied it up with an Italian flag button and we, got, and we spent twice as much? You know, that might be cool. Well, it would be cool. It'll certainly make an impression. Now, it's risky because you don't know. Maybe they're an alcoholic, you know, or maybe they went to Spain. You got it wrong. You know, it wasn't Italy. But you know what? It probably doesn't matter because if they're alcoholics, this is not the first time somebody's brought a bottle of wine and they'll probably say, thank you very much. We don't drink, but we'll put it aside for our next guest who do. Thank you. That's very thoughtful. And wow, Emily, you remember, that's really cool. Well, you, by taking a risk, consciously just extended the level of personalness or intimacy, call it whatever you want, and you showed that you're willing to take a risk on them for their benefit. And that has the natural human effect of them saying, "Wow, you know, they trusted me. I, you know, what do we do in return? We trust them a little bit. So you kind of initiate that trust cycle by figuring out a way to take a risk. Another way to do it uh, is simply if you're in the advice giving business of some form or another, you offer them some free advice, which might be wrong. You know, you take a little risk. You go out and you say, listen, I could be wrong about this. You know more about your business than I do. But I've seen this, that, and the other. And it occurs to me that maybe this might be going on. Is that true? In other words, you put yourself out there. You're not trying to take no risk. You're not trying to only serve them up guaranteed, 100% bulletproof advice. You're willing to put yourself out there on their behalf. And you could be wrong. And you acknowledge it. But the fact that you acknowledging it puts you in the trust store role and it kicks off that trust dynamic so that's the idea
1: so I, I got it and and the gift you know we want to be clear and and maybe i'm asking for clarification the gift isn't um hey you need to buy my it solutions that's right. that's a gift to you right
0: yeah it, 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 <laughs> that's not it's not that kind of thing it's it could be any little thing yeah and it's not about giving them something valuable you know for money or giving freebies or cents sense mm-hmm. off promotions no, it's offering something of potential value to them without strings attached and recognizing that it might be inappropriate. You know, you're willing to take that risk in greater service to them.
1: I like that. I like that. Bring bring a risky gift. And and the other thing as as you are sharing the story, it also tells me as the receiver of that that you've been thinking about me and maybe right. you care. You know, you care about me.
0: Exactly right. You know, a very similar thing is uh, we all get on Zoom calls with people we haven't met. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> most of us know we should look them up on LinkedIn before we get on the call. Most mm-hmm. of us don't do it. But even if we do do it, you know, we find some way. Oh, I, I, you know, I noticed you got a BA in, uh, I don't know, philosophy or something. Well, blah, blah. Okay, that's go one better. And, and notice, see, they live in Minneapolis and, and look at the weather report and, I saw you, you guys had a big snowstorm in Minneapolis last night, didn't you? Were you in that? What was it like? I mean, you, you actually care enough to look at it de- and you don't have to bring it up, you know, but, but you're open to the possibility so that if the conversation goes that way, you did care enough to look for, for something interesting. And, it isn't, and it's not bulletproof. You know, you're, you're going out there a little bit. You're being a little bit more personal than they are because you're willing to take that first risk.
1: And and what I love about what you're saying, Charlie, is this is not a huge investment in time or, and generally not money. Correct. It's really it's really you know you're taking a few minutes to. I mean that ex- illustration you just shared. It's it's looking into current events and figuring out hey if we're going to have a conversation about this, I might look at a relevant a relevant story or or the Wall right. Street Journal or something related to their industry, and just get get up to date on it so you can say you're not just showing up to to sell your products
0: yeah and, and again you put your finger on another important point one of the biggest myths of all we've all heard this one trust takes time mm. or variation on the theme you know trust takes a long time to build and only a moment to destroy both of those are myths mm. it generally does not take a lot of time what it takes is courage it takes a willingness to put yourself out there and you know touch on a subject that not everybody would necessarily go that way. Um, <clears throat> and by the way, the other part of that, that trust takes a moment to destroy. Not if the trust is deep. If mm-hmm. it's shallow, then yeah, it only takes a moment. But if you've established a deep amount of trust and you make a mistake, they're not going to dump you. They're going to say, "Hey, that's not like you. You know that that was that was out of character. What what's going on? I thought I think we're trustworthy. You know, we don't do that again." So yeah. cutting slack if they trust you.
1: Yeah, it's it's so interesting. Um, you mentioned that because one of the um, one of the metrics that's used often um, by the XM Institute is when you have um, clients who are loyal to you, customers, right. clients who are loyal to you. Um, the the correlation to that, the the drivers of that often have to do with things like um, emotional connection, right. Whether or not they were successful in their transactions with you, what they came to achieve, um, and if it was easy, those are three things that are commonly driving loyalty. But the benefit of loyalty uh, often is described as not just referrals, which are important to Mm -hmm. many 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 businesses, um, Mm -hmm. and share of wallet an increase in share of wallet. Um, They're they're going to be repeat customers, but this idea of being more forgiving. Yeah. When you you screw it, when you mess up.
0: Uh, You're right. That totally jives with all the stuff that I've done. Um, Mm. They'll cut you some slack. They'll give you a break. They'll uh, and which, by the way, also means, you know, related to that, they won't make you jump through all the hoops. You don't have to do all the check boxes. You know, they'll they'll wave you through in certain ways if they trust you.
1: I love I love the example that you you share, which is um, the two different sides of that, um, the trust that has to do with decisioning. So one was decision by committee versus decision, uh, yeah, right? I, I can't remember the exact phraseology of it, but um, yeah, y- your decisions fly through if there's high trust. And right. if not, they, they can grind to a halt.
0: Yes. Yep. Very true. And, and people don't usually say it's because I don't trust you. Right. They usually say, Oh, your price was too high. That's the universal non-emotional excuse for what they really mean is eh, we don't feel the chemistry, you know, but, you know, they say the price was too high. Well, nobody argues with that. Right. You know, the conversation stopper.
1: Excellent. Yeah, that's a great that's a great point. All right. So um, when we when we talk about um, trust, there's different words, different. Uh, terminology around this idea of, uh, do I trust you? Do you trust me? And and two of those words are, are trust versus trustworthiness. Yes. Um, can, you, can you break that down for yeah. the audience? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Let me give you three words, actually. Trust, oh. trusting, and trustworthiness. Trust is the, uh, let's say trust, uh, I'm using the word as a noun here a state of trust, a relationship of trust, a trust-based relationship. That's trust the noun. That's the end result. That's the description of how things are between us. Then trusting or to trust as a verb is like we talked before, to trust somebody. I trust you, you trust me. That is an act of risk-taking. It's an act of courage. It's an act of you know putting yourself in harm's way of possibly being hurt. Then finally, trustworthiness, which is an adjective, it's the attribute of the trustee, the person who wishes to be trusted. They want to be seen as trustworthy. And you can break trustworthiness down. We have a thing called the trust equation that looks at four components, as you know, Mark, of mm-hmm. trustworthiness. But but those are the dynamic, a, a trust store, has to trust as in the verb, a trustee has to be trustworthy as in the adjective. And if those two meet and connect and click, then boom, the level of trust, the noun, the relationship increases. So that's how I look at those three words.
1: Okay, so, so I would like to dig into it since you brought it up and, 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 uh, and let others know what the components are. But before we do, um, we talk about trustworthy. Everybody wants to be trustworthy. Right. right. When we talk about it, can a can a brand be, be trustworthy or is it more of an individual thing?
0: Um, yes and no. Um, it, it, you know, there, there are certain components of trustworthiness. You kind of have to break that apart. And some of them can be attributes of a company or a brand or a product uh, as well as of people. And some of them, no, they are personal. They're, they're strictly individual. So you want to, you want to break that out for a second. You want to go there. You know what yeah, I'm talking
1: yeah, about? Yeah, Oh, yeah. I think so. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's the, the what we call the trust equation, which should really be the trustworthiness <laughs> equation. And very simply, it's C plus R plus I over S, and those words stand for credibility plus reliability plus intimacy, all divided by self orientation. The first two, everybody pretty much understands credibility. That's expertise, competence you know, smart, you got credentials, all that. Um, and then reliability is even easier. It's dependable. Do you do what you said you'd do? Have you got a track record? Uh, those are um, familiar to people. You can come up with metrics for them. You can come up with numbers and measurements. I mean, reliability, easy, you got a track record, you know, a percentage mm-hmm. hit rate or dependability rate, delivery rate, whatever. Right. The other two variables, the intimacy and low self-orientation, those are much squishier, more emotional. The first two, credible, reliable. I think that applies to a brand. Mm. Intimacy, one. It's a little different. I mean, you, we say oh, we have an intimate relationship with Apple, or we love their products, or something, but it's not the same thing. Mm. Being in love with a product or a company, yeah, we say that, but it's very different than having an intimate relationship with a human being.
1: Mm-hmm. They're,
0: they're just, and, and and by the way, we uh, you can't measure these things with the same meticulousness and and cold-blooded numbers that you can with credibility or reliability. How do you measure intimacy? It's a feeling. Uh, how do you behavioralize it? How do you teach it? It's a it's a firmness of your handshake. It's a look in the eye. It's a pause a half a second before you answer. It's a raised eyebrow. I mean, you can describe them behaviorally, but it's kind of a waste of time. And in the denominator, that self-orientation factor, what that means really is who are you paying attention to, yourself or the other person? Because if you're wrapped up in your own neurotic self worrying about how you're going to appear, um, you're highly self-oriented. That's going to reduce your trustworthiness. We all know when we're talking to somebody and they're not paying attention, they're all wrapped up in themselves. Mm -hmm. It's a turnoff, right? Mm -hmm. So to be low self-orientation, which is a good thing, you have to have the sort of inner ego strength to say, I'm not worried about myself here. I can pay attention to this other person and get into what they're thinking and where they're at. And we all know what that's like too. It's fantastic when somebody actually listens to you and pays attention to you and, and follows your thought pattern and goes where you go and asks good questions. Um, so those I think are much more, a, a company doesn't do that, a brand doesn't do that, a person does that. So trustworthiness is partly you know, a brand attribute and partly a personal attribute, mostly depending on which component of trustworthiness you're talking about. That's okay.
1: Okay, so, so we've got, we've got three, three uh, components on the top of this yes. equation, and then we've got one on right. the bottom. Um, can you talk a little bit about how, like how the relationship works, maybe mathematically in the calculations, or just how we should think about it?
0: Well, I'll tell you what. We, um, <clears throat> it's, it's interesting. It's a little bit of a side note when we we borrowed the equation from somebody else and we changed it around and I think improved it. But what was intriguing was there was a factor in the denominator because mathematically you could have inverted that last number and just made it A plus B plus C plus D. It would have been boring. And I think a lot of the reason, the biggest, uh, um, most popular component in both the books you mentioned was actually the trust equation. And I've come to think it was because we expressed it in terms of three factors in the numerator and one in the denominator. It gets everybody to think, gee, one goes the other way. How does that work? Um, I think we also picked self-orientation because at the time, the three of us who wrote the book thought, well, that's probably the most important one. So let's give it its own you know, triple weighting in the denominator. Well, come to find out if you do actually compare those four variables, the strongest one by a small margin turns out to be intimacy, not self-orientation. Hmm. So, I mean, technically, I guess we were wrong. You know, I, it, it doesn't matter because it's right. all just how you express things arithmetically. But for your listeners, the most powerful component is intimacy. The second most powerful turns out to be self-orientation. So both of those two factors that have this emotional human component, those are the most powerful. And when I say that, I'm talking about statistical analysis, regression equations that we did on the data of 70,000 people who took this thing as a, as a self-assessment tool. And, you know, and so it's the emotional components of trust that turn out to be the most powerful, not the credentials, not your brilliance, not your track record, you know, not the value you create. It's like, does that person say, wow, they get me. If they say that, that's a stronger form of trust than all the other stuff.
1: So, so to be clear, like the, the credibility and reliability, which really has to do with your expertise, your credentials, your those, and, and the reliability is, do you do what you say you're going to do? Do you keep your promises? Those things are not as weighty. And when it comes to trust, as the two, the two other ones that are related. To, but you would probably agree that in many cases, they are a ticket to the dance.
0: Well, that's a good way to put it. Uh, yeah. the, the credible, reliable thing, the rational stuff, that is a ticket to the dance to use your thing. It gets you in the door. Credentials yeah. are, are why we say, okay, you can come in, you have an MBA from so-and-so, or you have a doctorate, or you, you studied at so-and-so. That'll get you in the door. That'll get you a meeting. That'll get you a seat at the table then the other stuff comes to bear. So there is a sequencing and you're absolutely right. We tend to lead. It works best when you lead with the non-emotional stuff and you you close or you follow up with the more emotional components.
1: Well, this is this is just so fat fascinating, Charlie. I hear it again. You know, I was in working with you for so long and, yeah. uh, and and just am fascinated. But every time I hear it, it just uh, creates a whole bunch of sparks. And I would like to, uh, when we come back, we're going to take a little break. Um, talk a little bit more about intimacy. I want to dig into that because sure. there's some real CX implications there.
0: Okay.
1: Um, and then I also would like to, I would love for you to share, if you don't mind, the story, the sandpaper story. Oh yeah, yeah, sure. With, with our <laughs> listeners, when we come back from the great, you will love this story. Um, I did. It was kind of. Uh, it had some. It had some sort of a twist for me. Uh, was not expecting. So when we come back from this short break, uh, Charlie's going to share a little bit more about intimacy and the components of it, and how it plays out, how maybe you can, if you understand it, can leverage it in your day-to-day life, and also um, share a great story about how it plays out real-life application. You are listening to the Delighted Customers Podcast. I'm Mark Slayton, your host, and if you're just starting out on your CX journey and need help with CX strategy and roadmap, or maybe you've been on your journey and just need help getting to the next level, I've walked the walk as a CX practitioner and know the real-world challenges you're facing. Let's put our heads together and jointly define the problem that needs solving. I'd love to see if there's a way I can help. You can reach me at empoweredcx.com. And now back to the show. All right, we are, we are back now, um and I'm just so excited to have my guest Charlie Green, uh author, uh, speaker and uh and just one of the most uh knowledgeable people when it comes to this topic of trust. Uh, in the world. And I want to go back to this, this equation that he shared with called the trust equation, which was, um, which was credibility plus reliability plus intimacy over self-orientation, saying that um, the research lately has shown that intimacy uh, is actually more weighty than self-orientation. And I want to dig into that a little bit because um, I, 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 I'm pretty sure. Help, help me if I'm if I'm wrong on this, but I'm pretty sure one of the components, as you describe, as you define intimacy, is empathy. Yeah,
0: Yes. Yeah, empathy. That's a good way to put it. There's a lot of a lot of yeah. overlap. Uh, vulnerability would be another word. If you were to do diagrams, mm-hmm. they'd be you know overlapping each other quite a bit. Yeah, I think of intimacy as um, <clears throat> mostly safety, emotional security, emotional safety. So um, if, I, um, if I, you know, am, am, let's say I'm trustworthy to you, what that means is that, um, or you're trustworthy to me, let's say. It means if I share something with you, um, you're going to know whether to laugh or not. You're not going to laugh inappropriately. And I feel comfortable about that. And furthermore, that if I do share this thing with you, you're going to know whether to pass it along to somebody else or not. And I feel comfortable with your judgment. And if you do pass along to somebody else, I feel comfortable that you're going to handle it in the right way. You're not going to put me in a bad light. You're not going to put me in trouble. You're not going to tell tales out of school. I trust you means I feel safe and secure sharing certain kinds of feelings, emotions, knowledge, whatever with you. I'm not going to be, you know, abused, violated, taken advantage of. So I, I think that's maybe the best definition. Now that has a lot to do with empathy, certainly has vulnerability, but it, it wrote, I think maybe security is the best word. I feel safe with some.
1: Hmm. Gotcha. Okay. Because I, I, I think what I'm hearing also is there's, there's two sides to that, but it, but it's definitely, um, emotional safety, is on one side it's like do you have a vault yeah right do you have a vault can i trust you with what i share in terms of you you know you know when it shouldn't be shared any further right yeah and then the other part is and can you know like you said it's like a venn diagram the other component of that vulnerability um is is empathy is in there and and that is like Understanding what the other person is thinking and feeling, not—I don't necessarily have to agree with them.
0: Right. Exactly. Right. All you have to do is to be able to say "ouch," mm. or you know, I mean, it's one word. If you yeah. say it right, if somebody says, "Oh, I'm going through," my, you know, and, and my mother was just in a car accident, uh, the right response is not "Oh, really? How did that go?" No, It's to say, "Oh my God, really? Oh my gosh, what happened?" You know, yes. to express empathy. You know, that's what you do. You acknowledge. You don't have to agree with it, but you have yeah. to acknowledge it.
1: Yeah. So it's it's uh, sometimes I'm just going to want to repeat what you just said there because that's so important. I think uh, is it. It may only take one word. E- right. Even even just mm, exactly. Even a sound. You know. Wow is a whole sentence. Wow is a whole sentence, right? Um so so the reason it connects here is because um we think about uh, much of design thinking thinking is is in the cx sphere of how we change the experience to improve it for customers. Right. Right. So you know, it's one way it's the current state and we 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 design what we think the future state ought to look and feel like for the clients. Right. And then and then we we redesign it and in that process we it's helpful to empathize with what the clients are going through. Yeah, for sure. Um, journey mapping and other design thinking There's actually an empathy map oh. tool that, yeah, empathy map tool, which is really what are the clients feeling and thinking at a particular stage of their experience with you. Right. Right. And then you can, if you're really trying to dig into this, because it takes you out of your shoes and it puts you in the customer's shoes exactly
0: yeah that's perfect and, that's good stuff
1: and and i think if there's a way to, to to build trust uh and and to become more trustworthy uh that whole idea of of trying your best to understand what they may be going through what they're feeling right. would, would you agree would be a good avenue to get there
0: Absolutely. You know, and, and honestly, even if you don't get it exactly right, if it, if it shows that you're making an effort to try and understand that you get credit for that, even. Yeah. Yes. I think it's very valuable.
1: Okay. Love it. Hopefully those of you listening, there was a gem in there. Uh, Some of you, I I can tell you my, my, my wife is empathy is one of her number one strengths that wasn't in my top five, 10 ish. Um, But I love her and learn from her all the time about it. And it comes naturally. doesn't mean you can't learn how to, how to apply it, right. You know, and, and become more aware of it. And absolutely you can, and, and boy, the, the payoff here, as you said earlier is to becoming more trustworthy um, in in the process, right?
0: Huge. Yeah. The payoff is enormous. Yes.
1: Okay. So uh, years ago, uh, when I first met you, not too long after we first met, I, I got a chance to hear you speak. And you share this story, which um, which is a true story that happened in your own life. Uh, oh, so yeah. aside from being a great story, uh, it was your story. And it was at a pretty interesting inflection point in your life. So would you mind sharing sure. the, <laughs> the sandpaper
0: story? Yeah, I was a... Um a newly promoted manager in a management consulting firm based out of Boston. And I was at that stage of my career where you had to learn how to begin to sell business development. And I got my first lead one day. It was with a um, an, an abrasives company called the Norton Company in Worcester, Massachusetts, just 60 miles down the road from Boston. Abrasives means grinding wheels and sandpaper. It doesn't get any more basic than sandpaper, gluing rocks <laughs> on the paper. Anyway, the meeting with the VP of of a braces marketing, the marketing VP for braces. And my boss uh, agreed to come along on this triumphal sales call with me. I didn't really want him there, but he insisted. So what are you gonna do? So th- we go to this meeting, it's eight in the morning and the usual ritual, you pour coffee, you exchange business cards, you sit down and chit chat for a minute. And then the client looks me in the eye and he leans into me across the table and he says, tell me, Mr. Green, what experience do you have doing marketing studies for industrial consumables? And I thought industrial, what? (laughs) And then I immediately thought, oh, he means sandpaper. Okay, got it. Momentary feeling of triumph, right? But then I thought, oh my God, how many marketing studies have we done for sandpaper? I was pretty sure, even though this is pre-database days, the answer was zero, probably never. So I'm scrambling in my brain rapidly under high adrenaline to figure out how do I deal with the fact that we've never done anything like that? You know, I need to say something like, well, not exactly, but we've done this, that, and the other. And fortunately, my boss saw the deer on the headlight look in my face, and he interjected He leaned in. And remember, the question was, what experience do you have doing marketing studies for industrial consumables? My boss leaned in, he said, none that I can think of. Mm -hmm. What else would you like to talk about? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I thought, oh, my God, you don't say that, for heaven's sakes, of all the dumb answers. But the client's reaction was instant. He leaned back in his chair, threw his arms up, and he said, shoot, hardly anybody's done sandpaper marketing. What else have you got that we could talk about? And I realized at that point, I could actually say all the things I was going to say because we had admitted we had no experience. So I, what seemed like the most risky thing in the world, which was no experience at all, Turned out to be the Trump card because we were honest. Honesty Trump's expertise. And my boss knew that. And he just put it out there. He didn't, he didn't, by the way, he didn't say, none, but we can get it for you. No, the point is not we can get it for you. The point is, you ask me a question, do we have an experience? The answer is no. Where do you want to go from there? And I mean, wow. I mean that is not what you're taught in any sales course it's not what you're taught in business you're supposed to leave with expertise you're supposed to handle objections no truth honesty a genuine response to a a question that a client thought was important enough to ask and that created trust a little bit right there in that moment and that's um, that's that story Mm, i
1: I love it and and, you know, it's um, it's just so hard for, for me because I, I, I'm such a solution oriented person. And, oh, we all are you know, yeah. trying to break out of that and, and just just to be so vulnerable, the word you used earlier, you know, right. and say, right. oh, gosh, you know, I, I don't know.
0: <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. I, I, um, I think we're all I'm like you. I think we're all like that. But we weren't that way in kindergarten. Mm-hmm if you ask us a first grader they're going to give you an honest answer. <clears throat> I think we have been miseducated throughout the you know the highly developed analytical rational data driven system of education that we have which has its purposes but unfortunately it has taught us that somehow we're not supposed to say i don't know. But i don't know turns out to be one of the most truth you know trust creating things you can say. Who's going to lie to you about that? Nobody. <laughs> when somebody says i don't know you can bet it's a pretty honest statement. Right. And somebody just told you the truth.
1: So true. So true. I, I think about like in, in fourth, if by the time I got to fourth, fifth grade, for, for me to raise my hand, I would have had to have been lock, stock, barrel, know I had the right answer.
0: Right. Exactly.
1: And, uh, and what, yeah. what, what you're talking about here is in order to build, to trust, in order to become more trustworthy, you have to do something that's really paradoxically different.
0: Uh, that's exactly right. It, it's paradoxical. It seems like a paradox. Yeah. Yet if you go back to, you know, basic roots of when, before we learned how to pretend and, and lie and all that good stuff, we knew to be honest and truthful and it still works. Uh, I mean, the, 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 the flip is not believable. If you have an answer for every question, I don't believe you because you don't have an answer for every right. question. So you're lying to me when you pretend to be right. You pretend to be an expert for all things. I, I often ask my my sales clients. I say, "Would you ever recommend uh, a client to a competitor?" And if they say no, I immediately think, "Well, that means you you think you can solve every client's problem." I don't believe you. Mm. You know, the right answer is, "Yeah, sometimes I would if it was right for them. If 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 I thought somebody else had a better answer, I should recommend them to." A- competitor that would be the truthful answer and
1: just so counterintuitive to to even think about recommending a competitor Uh, right but but the the again uh the the paradox there is that if you do that you know you're going to probably earn more trust
0: absolutely And, and whenever that person needs something in your wheelhouse they're going to remember they're going to say that guy told me the truth I bet if I call them up and ask them can they help me with this problem, they'll tell me the truth again. And if they tell me, yes, they can, I'm going to believe them. Yeah,
1: yeah, just so just so fascinating. Um, Let let me let me um, play off of that uh, topic of of just being vulnerable, being willing to admit you don't have all the answers. When it comes time for you to help a client out and what we talk about ways that you can add value and and this, I, you know, I think about it, ways that you can add value, uh, both, I'm thinking particularly about inter, intra-organizational dynamics. So if you're trying to build any CX, I mentioned earlier about our need to, to uh, win through influence, to get, get, right. move, move the ball forward through persuasion and, and building relationships and building trust. But how can we add value when we're so in tune with trying to solve problems for, for them? Yeah. Can you, can you help?
0: Yeah, I think um, you're describing, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty general issue, whether you're in CX or sales or just a regular person talking with others. If your mindset is problem solving, then, then you see yourself as a problem solver and, and you're you're driven. And I mean it's not a bad motivation, you know, but it means every you know every hammer finds a nail, everything looks like a hammer, right? right? And and it's they don't really want problem solving as much as they want to feel that you're helping them define and solve a problem. So the, the answer kind of internal psychology. I think is to say i'm going to help this person figure out exactly the right problem and together we're going to define the problem and together we're going to explore what the right answer is and if we're both good together we'll figure it out and if i'm not good enough they're not good enough we're not good enough then we won't but let's try let's dig in here together so figuratively we have to put ourselves on the same side of the table and have an open discussion with that person then say, let's really figure out exactly what the problem is here. Tell me what you've been thinking, help me understand that. Let me tell you a few things I've thought. And you begin to really collaborate in a very open way. Once you do that, then you're both gonna bring to bear all the perspectives that each of you have to help define the right problem. Once you define the right problem, that's actually the harder, that's where the real value add comes, jointly agreeing on a problem definition. If you get that right, the solution becomes fairly transparent, fairly obvious. So to connect it back to value adding, the key thing is to collaboratively define the problem rightly together uh, and, and then jointly explore, you know, now we figured out what the problem is, let's talk about whether what we have helps you or not. So the, and maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. Yeah,
1: there, there's, there's so much wisdom in, in that, Charlie, because it, it is also another one of these things, to me, that is very counterintuitive uh, yes, it because is. you know we feel like going back to the sandpaper story. You know what was going through your head was, I'm the smartest person in the room, and I'm going to prove it to you. To you, right. and that. But by right. doing that, then you will, you know, I'll win your business or something. And the truth is, um, if you're trying to establish trust and build relationships, wouldn't wouldn't people much? More, more, uh, more significantly, want to jointly define the problem, and then collaboratively work together on the solution. You may have, right. you may have, right? You may have more experience and knowledge in a particular area, yeah.
0: Which is why they saw you out, probably, yeah.
1: Yeah, or in the case of the customer experience management, sometimes we're seeking them out because we. We're making right. change we're changing agents and they really don't want us to be there true so perhaps this this approach again counterintuitive but it might actually be more effective
0: i think it is i'll, I'll give you another small story another true story that kind of ties together some of what we've been yeah. talking about my daughter has two sons so i'm a grandfather twice over two boys when the first one was born you picture my daughter and her husband they're both you know overachiever young adults etc so they have the kid, and the kid's two weeks old, and suddenly he's got a fever, and he's, and he's got a temperature, and he's screaming and crying. And new parents, you know, put yourself in their shoes, they're freaking out. So they call up the pediatrician, which they pre-selected by credibility, reliability, all that good stuff. And, and now, now I go into imagination. Imagine they go to the pediatrician, and the pediatrician listens to them for 10 seconds and say, yeah, there's a lot of that going around. Take this pill and this ointment and call me tomorrow. Bye. How, I mean, I know my daughter, and she's not that different than all of us. She's not going to buy mm. that. She's going to say, wait a minute. What about restless baby leg syndrome? What about this thing I read on WebMD? You know, that's not right. enough. So uh, it, we don't accept that. And even if we sought out that particular uh, doctor because they're the most qualified, the most credential, we're not going to accept that. Instead, unfortunately, most, you know, child pediatricians know this, a good pediatrician is going to say, hmm, does the baby do this when you do that, when you touch them this way? Have you noticed anything about their sleeping behavior? Have you noticed any of that? What else have you noticed that I should be hearing about? And then they listen to all that and they say, you know what? There's a lot of this going around. Take these two pills and this ointment and call me tomorrow. Then we accept it. Why? Because they paid attention because they were curious, because they collaborated with us in defining what the problem was rather than pronouncing as the expert what the problem was. It's the same problem in both cases, but the client accepts it in one case and not in the other, because we're not looking for an appeal to authority. We're looking for somebody to work with us to make us feel good, that we got customized, personalized advice. That's the value. I mean, otherwise you can get it on the web. you know. Put in the symptoms and ai is getting better and better at telling you what the solution is but we don't trust it in that same way
1: yeah and it's fu- it's funny you mentioned customized personalized because um with it with the advent of ai and other technology um there's a there's an easy temptation to roll down hey this this list of oh, we can cut cost we can speed up uh we can be more efficient if we leverage technology and yeah and- which is true, which which is all true. But what, what I was hearing and doing focus groups with customers at at a bank I was working with working for was that they said, you know, we do, we do want you to have suitable technology. We want you to have adequate technology, but um, don't ever take away those relationships because that's, that's (laughs) what makes you better than ABC
0: bank. Right. Now, I remember this first became clear to me oh, probably decades ago. I was buying a Dell computer, a laptop online, mm. and they had just begun to come out with these, uh, 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 you know, chat bot uh, expertise right. things. And, and, you know, basically AI. And you could pick all these characteristics and sort through computers and pricing. But there would always come a point when you had a question. And if you're, you're sitting around in your apartment in your pajamas, whatever, and you can do all the surfing, which is great. I don't have to talk to anybody going through all the crap, but there comes a point when I think, hmm, how do I think about this? Dell had a live chat person and the ability to have that together with all the transactional bloodless cold data analytics, the combination is what's really killer. So the, the problem we get with AI is we think it's a substitute for relationships. No, it's its own thing. I mean, you remember when ATMs first came out or I do anyway. And the immediate thought was, oh, thank God, I don't have to wait in the tower line anymore. That doesn't mean I don't want somebody at the bank. I just don't want to have to talk to them to get cash. I don't want to have to talk to the person at Starbucks to get a cup of coffee if I don't feel like talking to them. But if I do feel like talking to them, I want them to be a sentient human being who can carry on a, a conversation or solve a problem. So I think the challenge for all of us in business is to balance these two. And the better we get at AI welcome. I love seeing things automated, but remember, there's always some component of an interaction that's going to be that personal thing. And we can't get, throw the baby out with the bathwater. Hmm.
1: Well, Well, well said, well said, Charlie. And that's, that's something, I'm glad we hit the digital transformation and, uh, and that when it comes to trust, because I think you hit the nail on the head for, for everybody based on what I've heard from a cross section of, of customers is, um, you know, we need to be able to do both, but don't but right. don't lose that personal tailored customizable, you know, approach because um, the big the big guys, whether it's you know, financial services or engineering, manufacturing, technology, it doesn't matter, the big the big players in there often lose sight of that and then you end up being just a number.
0: That's and the right.
1: and the smaller, you know, organizations who don't lose sight of that. Um, you know, have have a strategic advantage.
0: They do, they do, and it, it's uh, it's not guaranteed because I don't think there's anything that would prevent a Chase Manhattan Bank from incorporating that component. They just don't do right. it, right? But they could. Well, they
1: absolutely could. And 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 the truth is, you know, the bigger the bigger you scale, and and the larger you get, the more siloed you tend to get. Yeah, that's you know, right. Naturally, it's just natural occurrence. Nobody's nobody. It's not intent. It just happens as you grow. Right. That's
0: true.
1: Terrific. Um, I, I just can't tell you how much uh, I enjoyed having you on the show.
0: Uh, oh, Mark, it's a pleasure. I've so enjoyed getting reconnected with you and, and having this kind of conversation. Thank,
1: thank you. you. And if our listeners wanted to um, either get a hold of you or uh, ha- how would they best reach you?
0: Um, I no longer run the company that I founded. It's called Trusted Advisor Associates. They can check out the, the you know the website, trustedadvisor.com. Or if you want to get in touch with me, use my email address, cgreen, that's C-G-R-E-E-N at trustedadvisor.com.
1: Excellent. Well, thanks so much, Charlie, for being on the show. It was terrific.
0: Thank you, Mark. It's been a pleasure. Appreciate it.
1: Hey, thanks so much for listening to the Delighted Customers podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes for any resources and links mentioned on the show. You can find those on my website, empoweredcx.com. That's empoweredcx.com. If you're enjoying the podcast, would you please subscribe to it? That way you can get all future podcasts as soon as they're available. And remember, when we serve others well, we make a difference in the world.